Very good to have uh, Terry Wisser with us today. As Terry shared earlier, he is with Word of Life. There's probably a better staff member than myself to be introducing Terry today. Uh, Terry's, is it uncle? Yes. Uncle is our very own John Masters, who many of us know. And so there's a family connection, uh, which we're very excited about. Maybe uh, Terry will have some stories about John that we could all walk away with. <laughs> John, John's scared back there. <laughs> Terry, come on up. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to pray. And uh, then looking forward to what the Lord's going to speak through you today. Father, thank you for Terry. Thank you for his ministry, and we thank you for his heart. Lord, what a wonderful opportunity to be together in your house and to hear how you are working in places that we don't get to be around very often. You are alive, you are active, uh, and Lord, you are working with power and effect all over the world. And so we pray today that as we gather and as we explore your word together, as Terry unpacks it for us, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would learn a bit more about what you're doing and that we would leave here rejoicing in truth with great hope that your word continues to go forth. Your truth is marching on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Thank Pastor you, Chris. Appreciate that. Can everybody hear me? Okay, great, great. Well, I truly am delighted and thankful to be here this morning and to have the opportunity to share. And uh, it's funny, they say about John being my uncle, and uh, if you kind of knew both our stories, uh, we both got saved later in life. And uh, we have a few war stories before salvation, and we've had a bunch after. And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to share a few of those, but not here. <laughs> um, I believe if you could set up that first slide, please, that'd be uh, fantastic. Thanks, Mer. And um, I do want to share this morning from the Word of God. And I loved how we sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I was not when I saw that, and it's been a long time since I actually sang through that, but I love it that it says his truth is marching on. And that last verse really captivates kind of the times we're in right now. It's kind of amazing if you think about what's happening in the world. And uh, hopefully this morning and this week, we can inspire and encourage, and we can encourage each other in how God's truth, how God's word needs to go forth. You'll notice, if you can go back to the first picture, please, I'll introduce my wife, because I didn't do that. And um, again, I am Terry uh, Wisser, and my wife, Beth, um, her on the, yeah, my left, your right. Yes, uh, we're actually standing on top of one of our little uh, hilltops there, overlooking Scroon Lake. We live in upstate New York, Scroon Lake, uh, home of Word of Life, where it was birthed and founded. Um, off in the distance there, you see what's called the island. Uh, that was operating since 1948, doing children's youth ministry. And they've probably reached over a million youth uh, in the name of Christ um, since they've been operating. Um, since then, the ministry has actually grown extensively, Word of Life, and uh, I'll share a little more of my story about how we became involved. But the ministry now of Word of Life, to give you an idea, I think it's in 84 countries with over 1,500 missionaries representing the organization. And then there's also multiple satellite countries. And uh, just like I know it's posted in here, there are certain locations they're now in that we really don't discreetly, we, we say, yes, we have a presence, but we don't say any more. But it's exciting. Um, the next picture, please, you're going to notice, this is my family, and uh, it's funny, this was our Christmas postcard we put out there, and uh, I said to my wife, I said, why did you pick this photo? I don't look great in this, I look fat. 
And she's like, hon, she said, this is how you normally look. You dress like a slob. And, and I was like kind of embarrassed, but then I thought, you know, the truth is, this is really who I am. I'm a construction guy, uh, that's what I do. Um, I'm rarely ever dressed that I look this neat. Uh, my wife says, you do clean up well. I don't understand why you don't clean up more. Um, but I do uh, appreciate that uh, cleaning up. But my wife, uh, as you can see in the middle between my two daughters, I have a daughter, Abigail, and a daughter, Molly. Um, Abigail being our oldest, she lives in Sacramento, California. And uh, she's working, doing social work, actually with a young group of people and a lot of homeless people. That's what she deals with. A uh, place that really needs the gospel. My middle daughter, Molly, is currently working on her master's degree. She lives at home with us still, doing a lot of odds and ends side jobs. She's working on her master's degree as well in social work with the idea of eventually going into equine therapy, working with young children. And then my son, Benjamin, in the back, the one with the crazy hair, um, ben is actually a senior at Laterno University down in Texas. And uh, he's actually double majored. Um, he uh, was going to be, well, is still pursuing the chemical engineering field, possibly a master's degree in that. But uh, in the process of that, he realized it was taking him an extra year, so he picked up a Bible degree as well, a Bible major. So he double majored, and uh, he'll be graduating this month in May. So me and my wife are quite excited. That means one less bill that we have to pay. That's pretty exciting. <clears throat> so that's our family, and uh, again, we just wanted to introduce you uh, to them. As we move on here, um, what I want to share with you today has several thoughts, you know, as we begin this global conference, this mission week here. And uh, personally for me, I've had the opportunity over the past 15 years working with Word of Life, I do what's called work team adventures. And um, I have the opportunity where I try to organize and gather people, whoever I find, that are willing to go along with me. I just mentioned my friend Ron, who was up standing next to me here. He has traveled with me faithfully for the past few years to all types of locations. And uh, I think of the time I was in Romania, we're in a gypsy village, and I said, Ron, you're going to have the chance tonight to give your testimony. He said, I've never done that. I said, that's right, tonight's the first night. And uh, it's, just, it's fun to challenge people and encourage others to really be about sharing your faith, sharing who you really are before the Lord and how he has changed you. And um, that's what I love about what I do. And the, uh, the way we do it, though, for us, is we just end up doing mission teams, work teams, working on Word of Life properties. And uh, I realize that very few of you probably are anxious to come up here and stand behind this pulpit. But many of you have gifted hands and are able to do incredible things with your skill set. Um, some of you are teachers, some of you are counselors, some of you are carpenters. It's amazing how God has gifted us all in special ways. Some of you are just moms and dads, and that's something we really need today. Uh, I didn't say this earlier, my wife's a school teacher, and boy, does she notice one thing that she can really comment on that we really need today, and I think it needs to really start in the church and permeate out from there, but is that Moms and dads need to really spend time with their children, training and educating them in the ways of the Lord. Because in school today, it is crazy some of the things that are being seen amongst young people today. So it's a real challenge, and I think that's one of the responsibilities of the church. 
<clears throat> Boy, I really got off track there. Um, <clears throat> let me see here. Uh, people ask all the time. You know, you see this list in front of you. I said, what do you do? Can you go to the next slide, please? And um, there's all these countries. This happens to be a work team you're looking at here that was from my friend, Pastor Ron, who you met in uh, Smoke Signal Church. This is actually considered, is that your Sunday school room? Correctly? Yes. Yes, yes. And for some years, it sat actually vacant and just with stuff in it. The roof had leaked, and we were able to put a new roof on and kind of just give it a little bit of a facelift. And it was exciting to see the team. I think one young lady is actually in the crowd there. There she is, Rebecca. She was part of this. So it was really good to have her there. But people always ask, what's your favorite country? You know, and the truth is, as you travel around the world, we all do the same thing. We all get up in the morning. We all have breakfast. Well, some of us have breakfast. Um, we all get the chance to uh, do our daily routines. And um, I keep saying it, you know, every place has its beautiful thing. I mean, the sunshines, the beaches, the oceans. Um, I've had the chance to swim in the Atlantic on this side, the Atlantic on that side, the Pacific on this side, the Pacific on that side. It's all the same. It's just water. Um, and it gets deep. Uh, <laughs> there is the Indian Ocean. You've got to be careful of that in the country of Kenya. The Indian Ocean, I didn't realize this. We took a whole group. We were out, oh, let's go swimming. And we're out there swimming. And then all of a sudden, the tide went out, and it goes out like a mile. And all of a sudden, we see these sea urchins. There was like thousands of them. And somehow, none of us stepped on one of them. Uh, really thankful for that. But again, I come back to this statement. Every country has its own unique thing, but it's about people. And that's really what it counts. It's about people. We need to, as a church, as the church of the Lord, we need to be reaching people encouraging them and doing our best. And uh, so, I, again, I go back and say all the time, you know, everyone says, what's your favorite place? There really isn't. There's tons of stories of people in all these different countries. Today I'll share a few and, and tie that together with this message. I will say that my story, again, I'm going to walk away from a computer because I keep getting sidetracked by what I wrote. Me and my wife, I was age 36, I was a flooring contractor, just like John. We used to work side by side doing this thing of crawling around our knees. We say we spend a lot of time on our knees uh, vocationally, but never prayerfully. And uh, we've tried to change that routine a little bit. Um, but at age 36, I kind of had the call that I want to get involved in full-time ministry. And um, me and my wife had been youth leaders, actually, in Fleetwood, Pennsylvania, at a Bible fellowship church there. And um, we used to take our youth up to Word of Life to snow camp, and it was there that we heard someone say, you're never too old to go to Bible school. So at age 36, my wife and our three very young children, uh, my, my son was two at the time, but we went up to Word of Life, and I thought, we have enough money to study the Word of God for one year. And God, in his miraculous way, next thing I know, we still had the same amount of money at the end of that year. And I really don't know how that happens other than God has his work, his plan. So we did a second year. And also in the process, while I was there working, um, real quickly, the staff there kind of knew my abilities and what I was able to do. And actually within three weeks of being there, they had already hired me on to do my first carpet job. And um, since then, we've installed carpet all over uh, that, that, uh, that place up there in Screen Lake, New York. And, uh, but I spent two years there came on the maintenance staff, 
And then I've never left. Um, I've been there over 20 years now in the Scroon Lake area, using that as home base, but going abroad to different countries. And as you see the list there, most of these places I have been to, there's probably one or two I've listed. These are places we're looking at projecting of taking work teams in the next year or two. And for me personally, this coming year, I'm looking at actually going back out to the Navajo Reservation and working in Sanders um, in April here. And then in July, we're going to run a vacation Bible school at Pastor Ron's uh, church location called Pinyon, which is right in the heart of the Navajo Reservation. And we'll talk more about that on Thursday. And you'll hear about everything that's happening. I want to ask this question. How many countries, as I, I just made the statement, how many countries are in the United States? Any ideas? Yes, young man. Zero. Zero. Okay. Any other thoughts? Any other, any other takers? Here's what blew my mind. I didn't know this, but when I went out there for my very first time in 2020, I came to realize there's a place called Navajo Nation. And I thought, yeah, it's a, it's a reservation. But no, it's really not. It's their own country. And I'll tell you right now, if you run into certain folks out there, there are rules to follow, there's a government to follow, and yes, they're part of the United States, but they really are their own nation. The truth is, Native Americans, there's over 576 Native American tribes in America. They represent, I think, two and a half million people, roughly. It might be actually more. Up in Canada, it's called First Nations. It's over eight million. Kind of an amazing location of people, and they need the gospel as well. But I came to realize that the church there looks much different in our own country than it does what this church right here, the setting is. Much different. You know, here in church, what do we struggle with? We struggle with, oh, the carpet needs to be changed. Oh, we need a new coat of paint. Um, have you noticed that the water isn't running properly in the bathroom? And by the way, John, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not just making an example. Um, but we have actually been to locations on the reservation where, and I'll show you one picture then. We had one church where they didn't have a running water, they didn't have a functioning bathroom for seven years because uh, the ceiling was caved in, the water line was broken, and they just utilized whatever was necessary. I went to another church and preached two years ago, and that church there, every time the pastor shows up to church, he brings two five-gallon buckets of water. And one bucket is for the ladies' room, one bucket is for the men's room. Uh, that's, their, that's their solution for how, how to solve their water problem. You know, talk about first world problems. You know, we say we have a leaky faucet. Third world problems, we have no water. It's just kind of fascinating how we struggle through things. <clears throat> for me, um, I wrote down here, I said, you know, what's your story, your testimony? And honestly, when I said I came to life back in 2002, I had no idea where the Lord, where God was going to take me. And if you had told me 20 years ago that I'd be standing here trying to encourage a multitude of people, I'd have been like, that's, uh, that's not going to happen. But God really has a sense of humor, and he also has an incredible plan. And I love it when you're willing to be obedient and let that happen. But I'm going to stand before you and say, I often get in the way of that plan. And I want to encourage each of you today to think about 
do I get in the way of God's plan sometimes, or am I willing to like kind of step aside, let him lead, and I will follow? You know, it's amazing when we let God do what he wants to do. So today, I'm going to challenge us, if we would, we're going to open our books to the book of Philemon. And um, I've chose this passage, uh, number one, because it really reminded me of a mission statement. Uh, For me, personally, related to my mission, what I often get to do. Uh, People often say, you know, what's it like? You know, what, what happens? And I often tell people, listen, we go to serve people, but the truth is they end up often serving us, and in us serving them, they serve us, a multitude is served. How do you describe that other than God, the Holy Spirit, is working in the hearts of man? So the book of Philemon, found right before the book of Hebrews, just one simple, it's probably, on, well, in my Bible, it's two pages, but one chapter. We're going to start in verse 4, and I'm going to read 4 through 7. I'll give an explanation on a little bit of what I see here. In verse 4, it says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. I'm hearing of your love, the faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus, toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And there are a few things here I really want to point out. First of all, think about Philemon. You're like, who was this guy? Philemon was probably lived in Colossae. He was probably, I read in one commentary that more than likely the church was probably in his house which meant he was probably a very wealthy businessman. Uh, He was probably a prominent person in status in his community. Everyone probably knew of Philemon to some degree. Philemon had a former slave that used to work for him named Onesimus. Onesimus, at one point in working for him, it's suggested that something happened as the slave, and he probably stole something and left, took out, you know, left out of town. This is where God starts to work. And I think about all of our stories. I think me and John, you can ask our stories when we got saved later in life. The way God works. For Onesimus, he goes and he steals, but later on he comes into this guy named Paul. Paul, the leader of the church movement, who just obviously is doing this incredible revival amongst Christians. But before that, who was Paul? He was the greatest persecutor of the church. His heart, he got really changed. He, in turn, affects Onesimus. Onesimus gets really radically saved. He gets changed. He comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Paul then endorses him and says, this man is really me, and he's really good. He can be really helpful. And Onesimus, guess what? I'm sending you back to your former owner. I'm sending you back to Philemon. How many of you can think of something in your past? Like, gee whiz, what did I? I don't want to go talk to that person. I remember, da-da-da-da-da. But you see, God is in the business of restoring relationships. And his kingdom, his, in his mindset, things can't move forward if there's problems, especially within the church. And then let's put yourself on the other side. 
think of Philemon. Philemon, he's like, wait, Paul's sending me back this guy. This I remember Onesimus. He wasn't he the one? Yeah, boy. But you know what's fascinating is that Paul implores Philemon through several statements. I just use verses 4 through 7, but you look at the rest of that, uh, verses 8 through like 15, and he really challenges him to say, you have all these qualities about you. You've done an amazing work in your church, and you have incredible love. And that's what it says here in verse 4. I always thank my God, and I remember you in my prayers. You see, Philemon had an incredible testimony. But now that testimony is being challenged because he has to think about his past. And that's what I love when God is the one who introduces to us the idea of forgiveness. And that's what the cross is all about forgiving us of our past, forgiving us of our debt, forgiving us of our sin. It's amazing when you think about Philemon is now challenged here as a leader in the church to forgive a member, or now a member who's going to come to his church as a brother. He's supposed to say, and Paul's challenge him, says he's now going to be a co-worker. He's going to be alongside of you. He's no longer your slave behind you. He's alongside of you. How many of us struggle with that? You know, but God challenges us, challenges us to change the way we think. You know, and that's what the cross is so powerful. And folks, I stand before you here today and I say, I struggle immensely sometimes with forgiving certain situations. Um, honestly, for me, one of my uh, hot buttons, hot topics is politics. And... Um, yeah, you live in the state of Pennsylvania. That's a, it, it's a mess. Um, sorry. I, I watch politics, and sometimes I scratch my head, like, what is Pennsylvania? But then I'm like, I'm reminded of this, and in this verse here, it says, I always thank my God, and I remember you in my prayers. And I think, I need to stop judging everything that I see. Because often, you know, as, as the Lord said, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And I need to have a forgiving attitude as well. I need to be responsible in how I respond. Um, I say all this, and just last week, actually last week, no, last week was the week I missed church because I was plowing snow. It was the week before. I took my, yes, I live up in the upstate New York. There's lots of snow up there. It's a little colder there. Um, two weeks ago, I took my wife. We went and saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution. I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, I was quite surprised. And there's some things in there. I want to encourage every person here, and pastor, with your permission, I'm not saying, but I'm endorsing this movie because I really think every believer who sits in these pews needs to go out. And if, if you had a drug addict full of tattoos with piercings who cussed like a sailor sit next to you and says, tell me about Jesus, would you be willing to bring him in here and let him sit next to you? Because there's a segment in that movie that is just so powerful when you see this super conservative Chuck Smith church and it's like there's 20 people sitting over here and there's 80 hippies sitting over here and, you know, the hippie guy, Lonnie Frisbee, gets up and says, let's open the word and everybody over here is like, yeah, man, let's do it. And everybody's over here is like, oh my, they're scared. But I think Jesus went 
to the lost. He went to the poor. He went to those who really needed help. And um, I think about we get so caught up in being judgmental. And I think that's what I love is that Paul challenged Philemon not to judge his brother, but to accept him as a brother in the Lord. The other thing I think about, I have a pastor friend of mine out in the reservation. His name's Jerry Yanni. Um, Jerry always says this. I said, Jerry, what do you need? He said, first of all, he said, we really need pastors. And Pastor Ron can probably identify and say this too. Most of the pastors are at least 60 plus years of age. Most of them are bivocational. They work two jobs. And most of their congregation is their age and older. It's a dying place. They need pastors. They need youth leaders. The second thing they need is the word of God. And he said, what we need to do is we need to take the word of God, we need to open it, and we need to present it. We need to read it. We need to believe it. We need to share it. There's a part in this movie, Jesus Revolution, I really struck me. And I don't want to take the thunder away from the movie, but I got to highlight this point. There's this part, I think it was Berkeley, California. It was on a university campus. Lonnie Frisbee, the Jesus character, the, the, the pastor, the long-haired hippie guy, he's waiting in the crowd to get up for his chance to preach. And um, the guy right before him who just got done preaching was a Satanist. He goes, he sits down, and I love what Lonnie said in that movie, and it was so captivating to me. He gets up, and he kind of thanks the guy who just spoke. He said, wow, that was some far-out stuff, man. He didn't say, I agree with it. He didn't say, I disagree with it. He just said, interesting. And immediately, he opens the Word of God, and he starts preaching. And I think often, it reminded me, that's what I need to do. I need to stop judging and um, giving my opinion about somebody else. And I just need to really read and start talking about the Word of God. Now, I've talked so long, my computer shut off. So we go back here. That was Philemon. <clears throat> you see here it said... Um, he was uh, on the front lines. He was busy in work. He was busy in his church. He was busy in public. He was busy at work. He was busy at home. I do want to highlight this point here. I think sometimes this is the hardest area for us to really be a true believer. Um, ladies will often talk to the ladies about their struggles with their husbands. Men will often talk to men about the struggles with their wives. The kids will always complain about something. But trying to be a wholesome unit in your house is a difficult area. And I think the enemy, the devil, knows exactly where to hit us in our weaknesses. And um, our home is probably one of the most key areas. And I highlighted that earlier. I said about children in school today. Uh, we really need to be thinking about what does our testimony look like at home? Um, verse 5 in Philemon there, you know, he really had a love for serving people. This is Philemon. Also, Onesimus, though, who's coming up, also had a love for serving people, for stepping out in faith, uh, for doing things not in their own strength, but in God's strength. And it makes me think, if I challenge any of you in here today, I said, right now, would anybody be willing here to stand up and give a 30-second testimony about what Jesus has done in their life? Would anybody do it? Would you raise your hand? 
Good, I have a few of you. The challenge is, by the end of the week, would all of you raise your hand? Here's the hard question. Why would you not want to raise your hand? And I know some people say, I just get so tongue-tied, I get so scared. But sometimes, you know, just literally standing up and say, I love the Lord, and that's all you need to say. But I think it's important. I mean, 1 Peter 3.15, I love this verse. It says here, we are to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks and to give an account for the hope that is in you. But you are to do it with gentleness and respect. That means not to judge others, not to elevate yourself above others. But what has God really done for you? You know, and I love, when you think about the gospel, how powerful it really is. We go on in verse 6 and then into verse 7, and I look at this. There are two things I see here in verse 6 and 7. It talks about partnership. Paul wants to partner together his church, the global church, with Philemon's church using Onesimus. Three people we probably would not have put together 20 years earlier, but they become partners. That's what the gospel does. It connects our hearts together. The partnership, in turn, in verse 7, let me read verse 7 for you, please. It says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The idea here of the word refreshment, many of you are thinking after church, you're good. I go get to get my coffee and donuts. I need refreshment. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? We're talking about that you are excited about talking about what is Jesus doing in your life today? What is Jesus going to do for you next week? And then praising him for the past, the testimony. What has he done already for you? You know, I realized for me, one thing, I, I don't say I've been radically changed, but I started something about three years ago called Celebrate Recovery. I got involved at our church. I didn't start it. I was part of the startup ministry. But Celebrate Recovery really changed the way I view even my own Christian walk. At first, I thought, oh, I'm going to get a bunch, you know, we're going to get a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts to come in here, and we're just going to help them in their problems, and they're going to come to know Jesus, and great, and I'll, I'll be doing my part. What I didn't realize is that God said, no, Terry, I want to teach you that you have an anger issue, that you struggle with people-pleasing, that you have anxiety, that you have codependency issues that date back to your childhood. There were all these things I started to think and learn about myself. And that's what I love, is you start to open your heart up to who God really is. He starts to really teach you some personal things. Honestly, for me, I've been saved longer than I was unsaved. Uh, it's been over 30-plus years I've, come to, I've known the Lord now. I honestly thought, folks, that life was going to get easier. The older I got, life was going to get easier. You know, the truth is, I, it's, the, the challenges are still just as great. But I always can go back and say, looking at the Lord, looking at the, the big picture, it's amazing what he does for us, you know, how he changes things. As we move on, I just think, now that's Philemon, the personal testimony. We go on to a public testimony. If you go to the next slide, please. 
<clears throat> You'll see here I wrote down the personal plea versus the public plea. We're going to switch in our Bibles over to 2 Corinthians. We'll move through this uh, a lot quicker now. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you look at these verses here, I'm just going to read a small section here. And I want you to think now, we talked about you personally. How about you publicly? How about Calvary Monument Church here? What do the people say about the testimony of this church? How about other testimonies of local churches in the community here? That's what I want you to think about in the list I have here. So I will read for you verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance for every good work. So I ask this question. If you go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> I'm thinking about this right here, is that you as a church, you've been given the opportunity to talk about missions, to think about how you partner with others around the world. But what are you willing to plant? What are you willing to sow? What are you willing to uh, cultivate? And then ultimately to harvest. I look at these pictures here, and the reason I ask is, first of all, you think of the way the hands are shaped there, the hand of a heart. God's heart is coming out to you, and he has a, a storehouse up in heaven filled with blessing, filled with seeds, filled with opportunity. You know, he says in Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be opened. My question to each of you is that, are we asking God, Lord, fill, fill me with the opportunity? What can I do? Who can I share with? Who can I help? Who can I be hospitable towards? There are people all over this county, I'm sure, that need the Lord. Is, is there a problem here with homelessness in Lancaster County? Not really? Yes, there is. Okay. It's almost interesting because you're almost afraid to say it, like admitting it. But do you realize that this, this is becoming an epidemic problem across our country? This is the United States. I did some research. I was curious about how much money does the United States actually make? And they say that the average person here in the United States makes roughly like 71,000. We're like number seven on the financial chart, like individual income. Many of you are like, oh, I'm not quite there. Um, but here's the interesting part. If we're number seven in the world, you know, and there's six countries above us, where are the rest of the countries? And you realize that probably, and I think it's, there are 30 countries that make over $30,000 a year. All the rest of the countries are under 10000 and under is what their annual income is. The country of Afghanistan really hit the news about two years ago, or a year and a half ago. Their average income per person is $386 a year. How much groceries can you buy for $386? Now, I realize Afghanistan is quite different than the United States. 
but just perspective, how blessed we are in this country, how fortunate the American church is, how much responsibility God, it says, to him who much has been given, much is required. And my challenge to you as a church, what can you do for those abroad, for those out there in other areas? I want to share a few stories that I'd like to uh, just give you an idea as I've traveled around. I think of my friend Mihai in Romania. I'll be planning a trip to Romania in September to work on their campus there, um, doing some concrete work. If you have a strong back, willing hands, or you'd love to learn how to do concrete, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, that'd be great. Um, but besides that, you get the chance to meet with this, this gentleman, Mihai, Mihai Bukar, from his home country. He took me to his parents' house where he lived in Bucharest in Romania, and he told us a story of how in 1989, Ceausescu, who used to be the dictator there, fell and um, fell from power. But it wasn't just a peaceful thing. It was an all-out war that took place. But what he shared that took place before that, how it got to that point, is what blew my mind. Do you realize that, do you know the largest building in the world where it's located? Anyone know? The Pentagon, largest building in the world, structurally, I guess. Number two building in the world was Ceausescu's castle that sits, that's now where the government is located. He took like, it's supposedly over 80 to 85% of the domestic, all the income from the country went personally to him and to his little area. The people got sick of it and they revolted. But here's what Mihai told me, he said, my mom, he said, we had so little food. Like, first of all, he said, I'd go to the grocery store. He said, I'm amazed in America. I walk in, I look at what cereal can I buy? And he's like, I stand there for a half hour because I'm like, oh my goodness, there's this, there's that, there, there's gluten-free, there's GMO, there's da, da, da. He said, in, in Romania, I walked in, there's cornflakes and just cornflakes. That's it. He said, my mom would go to work, she'd work a 10 to 12 hour day, depending on where she was assigned to work by the government. But she would leave at four in the morning to go in because the black market had food lines that were open and you could stand in line and you could possibly get a bag of food, whatever it may be. Some days it was potatoes, some days it was meat, some days it was some type of vegetable. In all types of weather, their weather there is probably a little colder than it is right here in Lancaster. He said there was one time where my mom said literally she went in at 4 a.m. and she would walk seven miles, walk in with her, her bags into work, well, before work, walk in, stand in line at the black market, try to get her food. And it was so cold out, she literally froze in place. And um, people behind her had to literally push her and lift her out of line. She was just patiently waiting outside in line for food. That, folks is a third world problem, not what we have. You know, I think of the scramble we had in 2020. How many of you had toilet paper that you got from another location? <laughs> Isn't it crazy? That's a crazy story, you know? But it kind of taught us something. Um, my friend Mihai, and you know, what he endured, what he went through as a child growing up, and then he comes to know the Lord, and now he's the leader of this ministry. It's absolutely amazing. <clears throat> Can I go to the next slide, please? 
I just want you to think about this as you look at this, the fields of harvest around you. If you were to stand in the middle of that center there, first of all, what would you plant? Now, I'm just showing all food. But think about all the other things that you could possibly help out with. You could help people around the world. Um, you know, I look at this and I'm thinking, it, it, it's endless. God has given us everything we have, but we need to ask him and show us and direct us where we need to go, what's next. I'm going to share a few more stories here. I think of my friend Michael in um, Kenya. Me and Ron met this gentleman a few years ago. Him and his wife came over to the United States to raise support. And it turned out Michael grew up on the garbage dump in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was like, okay, that's, yeah. Well, then he took us to the garbage dump. I had no idea until he started sharing and he started showing us. I mean, that, the garbage dump alone, I think, houses around over a million people that live out of the garbage dump. The police force does not enforce in that location because it's too dangerous for them to go in there. It's basically an anarchy-type system in this location. But the thing that I remember with Michael the most is that one day he was at my house, and I had some chicken that went really bad, and I forgot it. I left it out on the back stoop. It's filled with maggots, disgusting. And uh, not trying to ruin your lunch here, but Michael makes it exciting. He's like, I, I, I walk this out to the pile, and he walks out with me. He says, oh, Terry, he said, my mom, she said, he could take that chicken, and, and he, oh, he could make it, she could make it so delicious. Oh, mm, I can taste it right now. And I'm looking at this piece of chicken that the, the maggots were just crawling through it. And I was like, oh, this is, how? And he's like, oh, trust me. It was amazing what my mom could do. But that's what they would do. That's the food that they would eat. There is a place in Kenya, I remember the water hole, it's just a tap, a spigot, right outside the dump. And that's where the town people all come to get their water, to bathe, to drink, to cook with, whatever they need. What really blew my mind is that that's also like where people use the bathroom, where people throw their trash, and right next to it was a garden with beautiful vegetables. I was amazed how vegetables grow really well in garbage. But it, it even made me think in my mind, would I eat those vegetables? Um, all these things that we just don't think about. Um, opportunities, thinking about food. I'm going to share one more story here. If you can go to the next slide, please. This one is most recent. This just came out probably two weeks ago. I have a friend here. I've been to Ukraine several times. This is the director now, Mateusz Radzivaluk. Mateusz's dad started the ministry there in the early 90s, right after the Soviet wall came down. He went to Ukraine, started the ministry, and then within a few months, he actually got kicked out. He was, his life was threatened. They were told, you've got to leave or you're going to be killed tomorrow. And uh, he did. He literally left. But within a few months, persistence, God telling him to go back, he went back and started this ministry. They now have a Bible institute there and a thriving uh, mission, mission with Word of Life. Matthias now took over the work and directs it. He came under an incredible challenge related to the war. How many of you follow any in the news with Russia and Ukraine? A bunch of you. Do you realize that that's the number two and number five producer of agriculture, of food in the world, those two countries. They're at war. The, the stories you hear out of this place are absolutely horrible and, and amazing as well. But Matthias didn't stop his ministry. He kept on going. 
And here's the story that he just shared. There's a whole bunch of things. I'll share more of this on Thursday night. But he took a 20-hour trip into the Donbass region, about 30 kilometers from where the war zone in Bakhmut, where it's really heavy. He said, this is probably middle afternoon, he went and visited with his friend Victor, who used to be a student that he had. He said, my next stop is Kramatorsk. We're about 30 kilometers from the heaviest fighting zone in Bakhmut. It's 1.40 p.m. We meet up with Victor. He's a volunteer in our World Life camps years ago. His story is unbelievable. He lived several months under Russian occupation. He was arrested. He was tortured. He escaped occupation and ran towards Ukrainian-controlled territory. He joined the evacuation efforts in the Donbass, was asked to help military evacuation efforts. He participated in the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast region. Today, he's a civil military worker, and he joins in operations for medical evacuations of wounded and KIA soldiers on the front. The night before we met, there was an armored vehicle that he was in that came under heavy shell fire. They survived. He is a strong believer in the kindest person you'll ever meet. When we took this picture, he told me, every picture he takes now is like the last one for him, not knowing when is his last day. He's faced with the reality that life could end, but he also knows that God has a plan, and he's doing what God has called him. And it makes me think, we're all soldiers as well in a battle, but it's just a, a hidden battle, something we don't see. And I want you to think about, like, our friend Victor here, who literally is facing the battlefield. We as well, though, like I said, we face this battle that's unseen, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to challenge ourselves with? <clears throat> I close the message closing out here thinking about this. It says God, he loves a cheerful giver. And the results of being a cheerful giver is resulting in praise to God. In verse 15, you, you see this. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I challenge you with this last verse because I keep thinking about it. How can you describe everything that the Lord has done for you? There are times, like, I, I feel like I could stand up here and go on for hours and hours, testimony of stories. And I be, each of you could come up here. And as I hear around the world, and this is where I struggle with the American church, because, and, and I'm not trying to criticize us, but we live in comfort. We sit on padded pews. We have lighting, we have air conditioning, we have technology. And yet, a lot of us get really anxious. We're like, oh, I got to get home. Like, oh, who's playing today? Oh, where, where's the race at today? Um, yeah, I, oh, I, I, I want to do this this afternoon. I got to mow the lawn. Sorry, that's probably coming up for some of you here soon. John actually said that. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> but my point is, is that around the world, they can sit in church three hours as a normal service. Six hours at length sometimes. I actually sat with my brother at Smoke Signal, and they started singing hymns because they hadn't had a guitar player or somebody in there in a long time. And I thought we were going to sing like five songs and have some hot dogs. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really hungry. They kept singing. An hour and a half went by, and they're like, this is fantastic. We haven't done this in forever. But it makes me think, praising the Lord, are we excited about praising the Lord? Are we excited about sharing about his, the indescribable gift? These are the things we really need to think about and work on. 
I could go on and on and talk about countries around the world. I have a friend in El Salvador. He has an incredible story about his housing situations and like all the scorpions that he killed and his family never once got bitten as young babies. Um, I have friends in Paraguay. I have friends in Smoke Signal. These are all toilet stories. I think Ron told me in Smoke Signal they stole the outhouse. In Paraguay, they stole the toilets. I can go on and on about thievery, how the churches is always coming under challenges. Um, we're always faced with lots of challenges. Uh, what I really challenge you with here at the ending, though, is just this. When people stand before you and they say, we have need or we have prayer, their needs are very real. Uh, are we really... Put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? How would you respond? And I want to encourage you to think about, first of all, you have an opportunity to share in your community, you know, uh, right around the, the area. Judea and Samaria, the outermore regions. Think of our own country. And then the outermost parts. What are we doing? And that's what this week is really about, is you get a chance to hear people share Put yourself in their shoes. Ask yourself, what would you do? Interact with them. Find out, what can I get involved with? And um, all of us have opportunities. I want to encourage you to think about, what can I do? What do I need to do? So again, closing with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jack Wurtson, the founder of Word of Life, used to always say this. He said, it's the responsibility of each generation to reach their generation with the gospel. And the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And as I close out, I'm going to ask Pastor Ron and I'm going to ask Pastor Chris if they could come forward, and they're going to pray for us. You're going to hear a different language, and this language was really key for us historically during World War II. And um, Ron's going to pray for us in Navajo, and then Pastor Chris is going to pray for us just to close out our service, asking that he would enlarge your harvest. Gentlemen, pray for us. Let's pray. Shitha Shabodni Ilat int a Dijilan in Za Kobinahal Tag on the Hena or Kit. Nta Nini Lan in Hitakin Dolts Dobic Aan Had Tin Gon Hadili Nhideko. Jesus, Father, indeed, we're thankful for this wonderful challenge today. We sit here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and surrounding us there is much need. There are many who are unreached with the gospel. There are many who need to hear uh, the truth from your word, neighbors, friends, community members. Lord, enlarge our hearts, break our hearts for those who do not yet know you, and help us to be faithful servants and stewards of your word as we take it into our Jerusalem and our Judea. Thank you for the way we've been challenged today. 
In Jesus' name, amen.